the world has a pretty good idea in their own minds who Jesus is and why he came. But we find out this Palm Sunday that crowds don't always get it right. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, March 24th, 2013. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we're in the middle of a mini-series, if you remember. That's our, our buzzword for these last uh, three weeks. So last week we were talking about chronologically things that happen, events that happen before Easter. So next week is Easter, if anyone has forgotten that. Next week is Easter. Today is Palm Sunday, which is a big deal. And then last week we were talking about the anointing of Jesus by Mary with his really expensive perfume, and some of you got a chance to smell spikenard. And anyone give it a thumbs up? It was remarkably bad. That's what I thought. It came all the way from California. I was so excited. My computer still smelled like it on Tuesday when I opened it up. I took Monday off, and I opened my computer up, and it still smelled like spikenard. Which, I mean, there's only two assumptions here. One is, A, that it used to smell differently, and maybe through adaptation or something, maybe they misidentified this plant and they mixed it up with, like, a rose or something like that. Uh, the other possibility is it has the same marketing director as, like, Zuba's pants. Like, with the, remember those zebra print pants that somehow were popular? And you're thinking, that someone is a genius if you can get anyone to buy these. Someone was a genius to get people to pay a year's wages for spikenard, that's my opinion. So this uh, anointing of oil, and, and this was a big deal. So um, they, they have this big feast in Jesus' honor, and everyone is there. The disciples are there. There's crowds of people that are apparently around there but not invited to the feast. Um, so Jesus is there. His disciples are there. And then his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And why was Lazarus such a big deal? Because he was alive and at the party. That's kind of a big deal when you previously were dead a number of weeks earlier. And this is really one of the trigger points, and we've got a couple trigger points for the end of Jesus' life kind of going to the end. And just to give you an idea, remember, um, I've got to make sure I get this right. Uh, Easter is about here, a week away. We're going to say today is Palm Sunday, so it's going to line up here. The anointing of Jesus by Mary, how far ahead was that from Palm Sunday? Day before, yeah. So it's the, the very day before. So just imagine, here's, here's Palm Sunday where we are today. This is like yesterday. So imagine last night, um, there's this party in Jesus' honor. Everyone is there in this, this woman. We talked about spending this money on champagne, but someone lays out like $40,000 worth of perfume on Jesus' head and his feet. It would have been, uh, wow, this is unbelievable. So now the crowd hears about this, and this crowd is kind of turning and things like that. And if you look at how the other Gospels are written as far as um, where they place events, it seems that this anointing of oil is the trigger event that got Judas to say, you know what, I am now willing to go talk to the chief priests and see what I can do. Because it's in the other two accounts, it happens right at, it's like immediately after that. Probably not chronologically, but immediately after that, this is the trigger point why Judas goes and says, listen, what will you give me to turn him into you? So this is one of the things that started this spiral downhill. The good thing is we talked about Lazarus. So this is a number of weeks ago. We're going to say it's over that way. Um, a number of weeks ago that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And this was a humongous event for a number of reasons. One, Mary, Martha, and uh, Mary and Martha got to confess their faith in Jesus very clearly, which is pretty cool. You get to see that. Uh, the second thing is the crowds, remember, are now putting their faith in Jesus. Before this, it, people followed him. Uh, before this, like when he would heal someone, they were amazed, it would say, like um, when he did these powerful miracles. It doesn't say people put their faith in him very often. And in this instance, after he raised Lazarus, it says the crowd began to put their faith in him. And then what, of course, would happen with his enemies who are also there to witness this? They are not happy. 
and it's uh, so a couple trigger points. Jesus heals Lazarus, and they say, "We got to. This guy's got to die." And then this is the meeting they hold after that. This is um, from Scripture. This is from John. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, or some people say Sanhedrin, just sounds smart. Uh, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, which that would be terrible, according to them. This would be terrible. And really what they're worried about, it says the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So what does it seem like they're worried about? They don't really care if he possibly could be the real Messiah. They're worried about, okay, the Romans might actually come in and take away our position of power. The Romans might come in and maybe, like, destroy the temple or do something like that. They seem to be pretty worried about this. So they come up with this plan. This is Caiaphas. Some people say Caiaphas. So a man named Caiaphas was the high priest that year. He spoke up, and he's very polite about it. You know nothing at all. He's a Sadducee. They're kind of rude. Uh, You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish, which is prophesied. And what a true statement, right? But he means it in a completely different way. So this is the the covert meetings that are happening. So they come up with this plan. We want to have lookouts around Jerusalem for when Jesus comes to town so we can arrest him and kill him. This is the plan. And in fact, it, it goes a little bit further, and they have this plan that says we have to kill Lazarus too. This is part of their plan. So this is a little bit later on. Uh, They kept looking for Jesus because they knew all the males were required. Jesus is a good Jew, and they knew that he was becoming to the festival. So they start making lookouts for it. It would be like, um, well, it would be like Thanksgiving. I mean, that's about the closest thing. So everyone goes off to college, but the first time they come home usually is Thanksgiving. Does this make sense if you went to school? This is usually one of the points where you come home. So imagine someone was really trying to get you. And they could either drive all the way up to wherever you go to college, which would be a lot of effort, or they say, you know what, we're going to settle this when they come home for college. So then they're just waiting. You know, they're kind of hanging out at the local hangouts. And that's what they were doing. So they kept looking for Jesus, and they stood in the temple area, and they asked one another. This plays out like a movie, isn't it? It's unbelievable. So they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? Because they expected people to show up early. But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so they might arrest him. This seems to be stuff that's happening, remember a timeline, like on Saturday. They're like, where is this guy? He's got to show up. So they got their spies out. They're waiting to find him so they can arrest him and they can kill him. And in the meantime, it appears that Lazarus, I mean, um, that Judas shows up and talks to the chief priest and says, listen, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So all this is kind of, the wheels are turning, and we don't know what's all going on. The next day, so this is uh, Palm Sunday, and to put things in perspective, it always seemed like, a, where do you get a crowd? Like, how do you get a flash mob in the ancient Israel? No one has text messages or anything like that. How would you do this? Well, it, the, the distances that we're talking about aren't that big. So how many of you went up to any, like a huge concert up in Denver? That's kind of a trip, right? Anyone do that ever? Okay, you've gone to Denver. It's kind of a trip. It takes some effort. You've got to plan it. Or you go to a football game. There's 50,000 people plus that fit into the stadium. This is a big deal. This is way bigger distances than we're talking about. Way, way bigger. Um, and when we talk about Bethany and Jesus is staying, it would be the equivalent of Jesus staying at my house, if you've been to my house. Sorry, the church's house that they let me use. Thank you. Um, but, uh, so we're staying at the church's house right over there on Foothills. It, the equivalent is, you know how far Jerusalem would be? Anyone have a guess? Like the movie theater. 
So now, imagine this. Um, Hugh Jackman and uh, Anne Hathaway are staying over at my house, and they, they're going to have the Les Mis premiere. This is like a year ago. They're going to have the Les Mis premiere, and you find out they're not even going to take like this huge motorcade. They're going to just walk there. Is it possible, if you're fans, that you think, you know what, I might just try and intercept. I might just try and intercept them on this two-mile walk and just kind of hang out here. Well, it's not just like famous people that are going on here. The word is spreading now from this day before. They said, listen, I saw Lazarus. There's a crowd there, it says. They saw Lazarus, who was previously dead and is now alive. This crowd goes into Jerusalem on this day. They go to Jerusalem, and then they find out word that Jesus is actually making his way from my house just to the movie theater. So if you're in the movie theater, that is not a lot of effort, is it? to try and see this. So this crowd of people, and now put on top of that, you know how many people they estimate were in Jerusalem at this time? I don't really expect people to know, but Josephus, um, <laughs> Josephus is a trip. He's our only historian. He's a Jewish historian who worked for the Romans. So whenever it became to Roman glory, usually, here's the truth, it would go, stretch, 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 stretch. But Josephus estimates about 2 million people were in Jerusalem at this time. 2 million. And the, you know where he gets the number from is because they counted how many lambs, apparently, according to Josephus, how many lambs were killed for the Passover feast. So it, it's similar, again, to Thanksgiving. And I've, I've shared this with you before. If we were going to have Thanksgiving and we estimate there's 50,000 people in Castle Rock, that's about right, how many turkeys do you think would be... Um, I can't think of a positive word for it. So how many turkeys would be on the dinner plates? What's the estimate? I'm guessing like 10,000. That's kind of a guess, like one for every five. Does that seem reasonable? Jewish families are bigger. So they, they, Josephus estimates one for every eight people. That was his estimate for these lambs. And so that's how they get the number of about two million people. So you've got this little city that's really not that big. If you've ever been to Jerusalem or seen pictures, it's not that big. People would have been crowded all over the place. It's full. And when you're on vacation and you hear like something's happening, I'll give you an example. Um, went to Munich. So we're at the famous Hofbrau House. Has anyone been to the Hofbrau House? Yes, it's got the big steins, and they have like uh, sheep, sheep brain sausage and stuff like this. I think that's what it is. Um, maybe you didn't know that before you ate it. It's really pretty good. They've got these giant pretzels. But then word was there's someone famous outside, right outside at Planet Hollywood, Hollywood across the alley. So I'm like, okay. So I actually left the Hofbrau House, this historic place, stood in line like in this mass of people to see Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I'm like... So Arnold Schwarzenegger goes about here from me to my daughter, and he, they had T-shirts they were throwing out, and I actually caught a T-shirt, and this lady was almost weeping because she, she came down with it as I brought it down because I've got these gangly arms. She grabs it, and there was like a slight tug of war, just like this much. I thought, I don't think I actually want this T-shirt. You can, you can have it. And she's like almost weeping with joy that Arnold Schwarzenegger had given her this T-shirt, which is very touching. Anyway, if you're at a festival, you're on vacation, someone famous is coming to town, they hear about this, they hear this is not only the miracle worker, but he has the one that has raised Lazarus from the dead, they say, this is cool. This is cool. So the people at the movie theater are starting to make their way out, and they have this crowd, and this is how the, the account continues. On the next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. So based on this, what are the people looking for? So just, I'm going to give you about 10 seconds here to figure out what are the people really looking for. And I'll give you a couple clues. Uh, palm branches, I didn't fully lay out with the kids, 
But when they had Jewish rebellions that are famous, have you ever heard of the Maccabees? Judas Maccabeus, who's known as the hammer, which sounds awesome. Um, Judas Maccabeus, what, when they did coinage, kind of rebellious coins, at that time they would put palm branches on it. So this is not a Roman thing at all. When they would do palm branches, this was a Jewish thing, talking about freedom and things like that. So keep that in mind. Um, our other clue, you can't quite see that, but Hosanna, which means Lord save us. Which seems, now think about this, are these spiritual things, and this is the real question, are these spiritual things or physical things that they're looking for? So Hosanna just means Hoshiana, it just means Lord save us. They would say this, Lord save us. So this could be a spiritual thing, correct? We could say that, no problem, we still sing it today. Um, this is from Psalm 118, it's a, this is also from Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Could you, is that a spiritual thing or a physical thing? See, it could be either one. Um, Blessed is the king of Israel. Here's the kicker. This isn't from Psalm 118. So all the other ones are these spiritual pictures of the Messiah who's going to come. This one's added. And I'm not saying that the people who there made a couple assessments here. They make a jump. So they look at the scriptures. They look at Zechariah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay. Um, They look at it and they say, Hosanna, Lord save us, which is a recognition we'd say of the Messiah. But their idea of a Messiah is not so much spiritual as it is physical. So imagine the taxes just keep going up and up and up and up and up. And we can't even get estimates, but all it says is that the taxes at that time were totally oppressive. The Roman government tells them when and how they can worship. They're not a big fan of this, and they finally get this idea that this guy who actually can raise the dead is coming to town. Not only is he coming to town just at any old time, he's coming to town when we've got, like, possibly two million, even if we cut that in half. We have a million people. Maybe this is the guy to lead us to freedom. And so they make a jump. And they say, blessed is the king of Israel. Can that be understood correctly? Sure. Jesus is our king. Chances are, though, they're looking at this as a militaristic, they're looking at this as like the freedom fighter, the person who's going to give them some kind of political freedom. What does this mean? Um, you ever been involved in phenomenons uh, where the crowd doesn't quite get it right? Uh, you can think of lots of examples. Um, I sit on the advisory council for the, the middle school, and I had two mothers that talked, presented to us for about a half an hour about how frustrated they were that their kids are doing group work, and at the same time they get great grades on their own, but when they do a group project, they get worse grades. Does that make sense? And they they were very frustrated. They said, actually, all the girls in this group get great grades, but they get a lower grade when they do this together. Which says what? Are the best decisions made in a group? Or does this kind of like trickle down to the lowest common denominator or what you can agree on and say, okay, that's good? Anyone who works in the workplace knows. And you're probably thankful. You're like, I'm so happy they're teaching this in middle school. Not so that you understand group dynamics, just so you can understand who are the people who don't do anything in groups. And you start to figure that out, and you're like, I don't want them on my project. That's how we want to do this. So these, they're frustrated about that. We can think of other examples. The all-star game. Are the best players voted in by the fans? Mm. Depends. Uh, that's why they ask coaches to put, like, honorary members in. Uh, what about this? What was the top movie of the year this year? I brought pictures. This is the number one grossing, uh, uh, the grossing film. So according to this, Marvel's The Avengers, $623 million, which is, that's a lot of cash. 
So according to this, $623 million, so if we go by popular vote, we would say this is obviously the best movie of the year, correct? It actually was pretty good, so that's the, this is a bad example. I haven't seen Dark Knight Rises, The Hunger Games, uh, not too bad, Skyfall was good, The Hobbit was good. Do you know what number Argo is, the one who won? Anyone have guesses? Uh, here is Argo. Where'd that go? I thought I had two slides. Megan, there are two slides there. It did light up. Oh, it is light up, lit up. There we go. It's green <laughs> for Palm Sunday. So apparently, Argo, the greatest movie of the year, who won the award, is not as good as Hotel Transylvania. So, so when you determine movies, why is it that they thank the Academy? Because this is not a popular vote. They didn't say, what is the greatest movie this whole year? They asked the Academy, which is supposed to be smart people who say, all right, we can tell you, which is like the artist, who would put that as the greatest movie of the year last year? Has anyone seen it? The artist, I would guess, would be kind of below the curtain down here. That would be my guess. So Argo, so do people in a group make the best decisions? Not only when you're trying to do projects, not only when you're trying to determine like the best movie, not only when you're trying to pick the all-stars. Um, I'm not going to say anything politically, but uh, when you get to a point of uh, mob mentality, what's the idea there? That in a group, you're willing to do and say things that you would never do as an individual. And we can see that in the news. There's a rape case. Have you seen that? With, uh, where these, there's this young boy who they can't believe that was rape. But what's happened is they tweeted and their friends are all there and at this group they said that we didn't even know that this was the issue. But I bet if you sat them down, I bet if you sat those boys down and said, this is what's going to happen tonight, do you think that's a good plan or a bad plan? I bet every single one of them would say, that's not good as an individual. But in a group mentality, you kind of say, I'm not sure about this. Then you look and you see someone else doing it and it makes some sense. In the Bible, can you think of one time just one time where a group decision was the best decision. Adam and Eve, they're the only people on the planet. They have a majority. Did they make a good decision or a bad decision as they let sin enter the world forever? That is not a good decision. Uh, Noah. So Noah, they estimate that at the time of Noah, there could have been as many as 10 billion people. I mean, that's really a big number. But imagine that. I always think like Noah's Ark, there's like eight people, or there's like 25, you know, it's Noah, and then like the neighbors or something like that. There could be as many as billions of people because of the long, the, how long people lived and things like that. How many people agree with God and say that this is the right way? Eight. Eight out of the whole planet. During the time of Elijah, he thinks he's the only guy who believes in God. He's like, God, I'm the only one left. You can kill me. This is it. I'm done. We get to um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember this amazing story on Mount Carmel? You can still go to Mount Carmel. It's kind of by the coast. And so we have Elijah on one side and the prophets of Baal on the other. How many prophets of Baal are there, if you remember? 400. How many Elijahs do we have? It's not very hard. One. So one against 400. Can you think of other instances? where group decisions were not the greatest decisions. Joseph, the guy who's famous for his dream coat, Joseph and his brothers, and they get into this argument, and they put them in a cistern, and they're trying to figure out, like, what should we do here? Ten to one, or nine to one, they devote, let's send this guy off and sell him into slavery. 
if that's not group mentality, I can't imagine what it is. A lot of you have little brothers and stuff like that. Has it ever entered your brain? You're like, maybe we should sell them into slavery. Does that sound like a... There's some carny people going by. Why don't we just set them into the circus and maybe we'll run into them again later. And then in a twist of fate, he could become king of the carny world. I mean, it could have been amazing, just like Joseph. But can you think of any instance where this actually happened, where they make the right decision? Even here, even here on Palm Sunday as they announce, this is the king, this is the Messiah, I don't think they quite get it right. Maybe the worst decision ever. When you run into uh, Holy Week and it's now Good Friday, coming on Good Friday, Thursday night, and what do the people say? Thursday morning, or Friday morning. Would you like Jesus or would you like Barabbas? The crowd as a whole says, we want Barabbas. We want this murderer rather than Christ to be set free. And I think you'll notice that the closer Jesus gets to the cross, the fewer there is of a crowd running around him. At first, you know, in his year of popularity, he would go and he went, um, like he tried to escape. It even says like he was teaching to people and he gets on a, a boat and he goes across the water to try and escape. And the people like actually run around the lake to catch where he is. And that's where he ends up feeding 5,000 people. Well, it starts to get a little bit smaller. We have Sunday where we have this mass of people proclaiming his praises. But then on that evening, Thursday night, when Jesus is betrayed, what happens to his disciples? And so suddenly it's just Jesus. Even on the cross, Jesus is there. How many of his disciples do we hear about hanging out? One. John and his mother are apparently there. But soon they're gone. And then it's just Jesus. And not just Jesus. Just comprehend this for a second. You and I, on, on every level, can always say, God is always with me, right? No matter what happens. God is with me. He makes that promise. I will be with you till the very end of the age. We always have God's grace, even if our whole family died in a car accident. If we're at the bottom of a ravine, we can say, God is here with me. Can Jesus say that when he's on the cross suffering sin for you? When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You could translate that, my God, my God, where are you? Because at that moment, he is suffering hell, and hell is complete separation from God and his love. The closer Jesus gets to the cross, the more alone he gets. And you know why he has to do this alone? Because he's the only one who can do it. He's the only one who can take your sins. He's the only one who could actually give the payment that's enough to pay for your sins. This crowd, uh, they, they don't get it right. Jesus is a spiritual Savior, not some physical Savior. My question to you is this. What, what's the take-home on this? Well, he gets on the donkey and he starts to ride, and we get to verse 16. It says, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. So re- all these things are coming true. They didn't realize it until after the fact. We're not going to get on their back for that. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. What stands out to you about the crowd's reaction? Remember, they didn't quite get it right, but they still, that's supposed to be in red. I've got to use a different color. Continue to spread the word. Now, you guys are smart people. You're smart. They look at something that Jesus has done in the past, and they continue to tell people about it in the future. 
My question to you is, what's your reaction to what Christ has done for you? What's your reaction that Christ went alone to the cross and, in fact, was all alone on the cross as Christ? What's your reaction to that? Is it in the past tense and in the past tense? And what I mean by that is you say, Jesus died for my sins. He has given me a new life and a whole new salvation. And this one time, this one time I told someone about it. Is it always in the past? Is, this, is it this one time I used to be part of a youth group? Jesus died for me, and this one time I used to go to church every Sunday. Can you believe that? So you might say, you could say, this one time I used to have devotions with my kids. Um, Jesus has died for me. And yeah, there's one time I was on a plane, and I told some guy about Jesus. How many of your stories are like their story? Jesus has died for me, and this is what I'm doing about it today. There is a, a world of people who have followed the crowd. There's a world of people who have just listened to what the crowd says. And the crowd, the world does not understand who Jesus is. He's not some great teacher. He's not just a nice guy. He's not just some guru. Jesus is the savior of the world. and The world doesn't understand that. And if they listen to the crowd, they'll never, ever get it. But if they listen to you, they will. If they listen to your story. And you can say, Jesus died for my sins, and this is what I want to tell you about it. And when they know what Savior has done for you, they'll want to hear about the God who changed the world. Amen.